0: All Premier League and English Football League and Women's Super League matches have been postponed until April 3rd. At the earliest, meetings were held this morning in response to the escalating coronavirus pandemic.
1: Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota, the states with famous connections such as Jordan and Pippin, Garnett and Cassell, and the Great Lakes, Michigan and Superior. We're going to be talking soccer, going to be talking life, playing games, playing mind games. we got a little something for you. We also just recently created our Instagram page, on which we're planning to feature a wide range of great content, so throw us a follow at Footy Pod on Instagram, at footy, F-O-O-T-Y. Fellas Pod. What you heard to kick off the pod was a statement made March 13th on Sky Sports News referring to the current state of soccer in England. At this point, basically all soccer leagues around the world, as well as other sports leagues, have been canceled. Crazy stuff going on in the world of sports right now and outside of sports, obviously. A lot of uncertainty if the Premier League will come back in the summer. Will Euro 2020s be rescheduled to another year? What will go on with U.S. sports? Two weeks ago, I know a couple of us were very excited to be at the Chicago Fire home opener against Atlanta United, and now obviously,
0: just a lot of turmoil in general. Yeah, and uh, that turmoil transcends um, uh, obviously sport; it um, starts to starts to inter- intersect with people's lives and careers. Um, naturally, we are all upset that we have um, all American major sports being postponed for the um, indefinite future, but. Uh, I think one thing that's somewhat getting lost, but is also hopefully in the forefront of, of all of our minds, is the loss of March Madness and the impact that has on collegiate players, um, namely those seniors who may have been relying on this last year to go out as either their last hurrah or um, potentially their um, – uh, sorry, my, my co-host has removed <laughs> his microphone completely. We'll just edit this out in post. Uh I think the other thing that is <laughs> <laughs> working with new mics today. New mics. Hot mic. Hot mic. The uh <laughs> the uh other factor that um uh potential seniors are losing out aside from their last hurrah on their final stage is potential at impressing enough scouts to warrant future careers in professional sports. Um I think it was released a day or two ago that the NCAA was considering allowing seniors to come back uh, and compete again in in any games or final season that may have been canceled. Uh, I know, for example, a lot of the women's um, soccer League that um, takes place, at least I can think in D3, I'd imagine D1 as well, um, takes place in the spring has, uh, has been completely canceled. Um, and as such, I think a lot of those seniors who are likely not going to play major sports or professional sports afterwards are, are potentially going to have another chance, a second chance um, at playing again next year. Um, the big question that kind of throws in the mix here, right, is how does that implicate rising freshmen or incoming freshmen? Um, and game times and uh, what a team looks like when it has as much depth as it might have. Um, I don't know how those things are going to unfold, but it's a fascinating story that I'm going to be watching from the sideline.
2: Yeah, I think it, I think that is interesting. Uh, You were the, you mentioning that is the first time I'm hearing, hearing this news coming out of the NCAA and other, you know, college schools around the country. I personally think it's a really dumb idea. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think seniors necessarily need another chance to like live this dream sports life that they, that they want. I mean, if, if you're talented enough, then, you know, to play professionally, then I think you've been noticed uh, at this, I guess, speaking mainly about uh, college basketball players, if you're good enough to make the league, the NBA, scouts already know about you and, you know, they're not that you already played a full season. So I don't think this tournament, although, you know, high stakes, it's exciting. You got big crowds. So it's, you know, maybe similar to what you'd see in the NBA for a game. But look, if you're good enough to make the league, this tournament, it was not going to change opinions. Honestly, I think it gave, there's just more opportunity for players to get injured. So um, I think, you know, the coronavirus itself, horrible, terrible. hope everyone listening is healthy and stays healthy. But, uh just specifically on this topic with players senior players coming back i think it's a pretty pretty poor idea not not well thought
1: out it's definitely more of a issue for d1 versus d3 i think because of the emphasis placed on sports at those d1 schools and potentially the reason that a lot of players are going there because they want to take it more seriously whether it's ultimately playing at a professional level or you know for different scholarship benefits and what that may bring um so it is interesting to think The serious impact it would have on a lot of these players, whatever decision is made, it could mean another year of scholarship and, you know, taking different classes, learning different things, um, being a part of the team, what they love doing, what they love playing, even if they're not going to, therefore, you know, play in the NBA afterwards anyways. I think it will have a serious impact on a lot of these D1 athletes, much more so than D3, even though it's obviously still devastating. People don't get to do what they love and be part of the team for another season. Yup. The, uh, the NBA response, at least by the players, has been interesting. Obviously, a couple of confirmed positive corona cases in the NBA, which was the first major league, I think, in the in the U.S. to really shut down operations with a couple of cases on the Jazz, unfortunately. And a lot of players I've seen take to streaming, streaming video games recently as a way to stay in touch with their audiences and also just chill out, you know? A lot of these guys probably played video games growing up now especially have time to actually do so so seeing a lot of NBA players streaming live on, on Twitch and other services which is kind of
0: kind of fun while everyone's stuck inside I thought it was interesting seeing um, CJ McCollum I think had tweeted out that he recommends all NBA players who now have time for themselves <clears throat> should spend their time focusing on other um, uh, fiscal ventures um, looking to build up their careers post. Um, post-professional life um, and investing in real estate companies, what have you, finding other sources of income for uh, the non prime years of their, of their lives, building Um, their brand, building their brand outside of, you know, outside of the hardwood. Exactly. Um, So there's, there seems to be a big opportunity for people to have downtime and what they can do with it. Do they um, invest in marijuana or do they start creating podcasts to, um, Help um, uh, explain the Premier League and um, what may or may not be over or underrated. That seems like the most responsible, responsible thing to do and and successful
1: venture. What what are you thinking, Winter?
2: No, I totally agree. I mean, the three of us had to. We knew this was coming after our NBA careers, and you know we're successful at it now. So I also wanted to touch on. I did hear recently. I saw on TV that I think on ESPN they were saying that this. You know the coronavirus uh, pandemic. I guess people are saying um, it. This would you know was the big disruption to the NBA, and they're saying that this actually could be a catalyst for pushing through the changes that actually the NBA wanted or was debating on doing for a while now. First time I'm hearing about this, but I guess I guess owners wanted like a mid a mid season tournament, maybe similar to like FA Cup they do in the Premier League. I also think they wanted the season to start in December. So it was interesting they were saying you know maybe this huge disruption to the league is actually going to get these changes on their side um the players who are you know the anal- the sports analysts on these shows now are saying look these weeks of health healthy rest are huge for the players it's going to make the playoffs you know x times more exciting now so you know we're seeing we're seeing potentially some maybe positive silver lining changes coming out of all this which which is good
1: yeah Absolutely, that's a great that's a great point. And a lot of the teams, both individual players and organizations, at this point have really paid attention to what's important and thought about all their employees. And you're seeing many teams, stars like uh, Zion and you know Giannis and Kevin Love and a couple others, voluntarily donating a lot of money, hundred thousand dollars more, five hundred thousand dollars to staff other workers at the venues themselves, at the arenas who obviously aren't going to have jobs because games aren't taking place. So good to see them looking out for kind of everyone involved in the larger NBA families, which
0: I think in turn is unfortunately or fortunately putting a little pressure on the ownership for those, for those companies for, or, or for, yeah, for those organizations for not taking it out of their own piggy banks to, to help, to help pay for that and relying on the um, generosity of the players themselves, um, which it feels just a little backhanded, but um End of the day, people are being taken care of, and uh, I think it's good for for their brands, regardless.
1: While you're stuck at home, all of you listening, or just inside, hopefully still enjoying the fresh air, being smart about it, we're gonna hit you with some things you should be doing, and not only some things, but the top five things or six things that winter is gonna tell you what to do while you're while you're at home during this quarantine.
2: Yes, thank you, thank you. We have for this today's rank order section. We're going to talk about the t- top five things to do while in quarantine. Now, I know the three of us are not yet technically in quarantine, but honestly, I think uh, the majority of folks in the U.S. at least are going to be in quarantine just because of for safety precautions. So, so either if you're in quarantine now or if you will be in the future, here are my top five things to do so from five to one. So number five, look this might be a little on the boring side, but I say be productive, brush off the resume, potentially look for a new job. Um, look, this is a perfect time to sit down, bring out the resume again, dust it off, put the stuff that you've been doing at your current job in there, and uh, potentially you know, look at some some other opportunities. It doesn't hurt, definitely does not hurt. Might as well be productive with the time off.
1: Be smart about it. Listen to CJ McCollum. Mm.
2: Yeah, right. All right, number four. Bring out the old instrument in your closet and start playing again. Look, you haven't played since seventh grade, but take out that violin. Take out that cello. Get that trumpet out. Um, start playing again. It's fun. Something to pass the time with. Uh, keep yourself keep yourself going and entertained. I think you'll be the only. Yeah, yeah.
1: I actually love that one. Um, and I think we should – I don't want to put Max too much on the spot, but I think we should have Jones play a little something. On that instrument, he's kept in the closet. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm happy to.
1: I can't play it, uh, you know, right now, but uh, uh hold on. Go, go grab it. Yeah, yeah. go grab okay. it. We'll, we'll wait a sec. Yep. All
0: right, it's kind of clumsy. All right.
2: I can not know yeah. you could play like that.
0: I, I, I honestly, I'm a little embarrassed by it, but um, I don't know. Quarantines they bring out they bring out the old you. <laughs> wow, great recommendation at number four there, Winter.
2: Thank you for that, Jones. All right, number three, uh, read the books you've you've kept pushing off. Uh, you know, I know you've got tons and tons of books, relatives, birthdays, Christmas, you just accumulate throughout the uh, holidays. Start, start reading them. Start getting through those books. It's gonna be worth your while. Number two, video games. As we talked about with the NBA uh, players, um, kind of passing the time by playing the video games that they that they like to. I think it's a great it's a great way to kill the time. Play those games. And coming in at number one, binge watch TV series. Uh, Westworld season three just dropped today, uh, wow. and I also, I've been hearing so much about it. I have now started Curb Your Enthusiasm. Watched first couple episodes, season one yesterday. Big fan. Larry David is like my new favorite person right now. Very cool show. Highly recommend it. Did you guys know, uh, I just found this out, that, so the show and how they film. Have you guys seen it, Curb Your Enthusiasm?
1: Yeah. I have not. But I think everyone else in the world has. All of our listeners. I think we're the only ones, Eli.
2: Yeah. It uh, so it's really cool. It they they improv the majority of the shows. Um, Larry David, what he would do and what I've heard is he'll he'll write the kind of skeleton of the story of each episode. So everyone knows like what direction everything is going in. But they don't tell you know, they really don't give you lines to read. It's all you in the moment just saying what what kind of pops in your head. And it's great knowing that and then watching the show the shows the the tv series is makes it much more entertaining
1: and i assume the kind of plot of each episode is people start off really excited about something and then over time their enthusiasm for that specific topic just kind of wanes right and they just get less excited is that the plot or am i off here
2: well i've only watched two two episodes um but yeah, the usually it, it starts off and there's some weird situation that you don't really ever imagine yourself being in, but it, it's totally possible in real life. And then it's them just kind of reacting to it together, um, which which really makes for for
0: funny funny TV. So you're saying that the enthusiasm theoretically does not get curbed as the episode progresses.
1: <laughs> oh. Oh no, it gets curbed. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to make sure we're on the same page, so we don't lead astray any of our listeners who oh yeah, you're right oh yep. didn't totally expect get yep yep the enthusiasm to get curbed throughout the episode
0: oh yeah that jokes Dad jokes we've got them <laughs> got them on deck yeah
2: how are your, how are your four kids doing Gen Z
0: thriving thriving Netflix the other day uh, actually cross cross brand uh, checked out um, Hulu for a little bit which was pretty hype. Um, they hung out together. Netflix and Hulu. Yeah. And they're get this, they both have no disease. They're fine. They're totally fine. Um, Disney Disney plus on the other hand,
1: Disney plus didn't have a chance. Didn't have a chance. I heard, I heard, I heard she got shut down that she had got closed in her room because they didn't want, uh, you know, too many people interacting just seemed unsafe.
0: Yep. Unsafe. Um, definitely a lot of, uh, uh, interesting characters, um, that she had been hanging around and, uh, naturally we wanted to make sure that, uh, no one else picked up any of the sicknesses that, um, the, I'm trying to think of characters from these shows from, um, beauty and the beast. I mean, yep. The candlestick. You don't want to talk and clock, uh, anywhere near you. Not in these, not, not in this time, especially a lion that can dance like that. I don't know if I trust them, you know, no talking lion at that.
1: Dangerous. Very questionable. Very questionable. Thank you for those pro tips, Winter. I think we all have a better sense of what to do, whether it's reading a book, catching up on, you know, your intellectual and other desires, wants in life, watching shows, playing video games, a lot of options at home. And obviously take out your instrument and send us a clip. Send us a clip of you playing and you might get featured on our next episode. Gonna head to a quick ad break thanking our first sponsor of the night. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the youth market uptick in transfers within the soccer world. Is it surprising? Is it to be expected? How should we feel about younger players getting more and more money and more attention across leagues? In uncertain times like these, we can all use a helping hand. Someone or something we know we can trust. Finding a palm reader isn't for everyone. Trusting astrological signs isn't for everyone either. That being said, I'm a Gemini. I'm playful and intellectually curious, kind of the social butterfly of the zodiac. I definitely say I get along well with Libras and Aquariums. I like to party and travel, what can I say? Being a Gemini reminds me of that one time I was at a party in Morocco and met some other Geminis. It was actually pretty fun, a lot of drinking, a lot of conversation, group picks, you get the idea. Unfortunately, being a Gemini means I also have a shorter attention span. Anyways, I'm here to talk about the official handheld Truth Teller Magic 8-Ball, a Magic 8-Ball that actually works what you need in uncertain times like these. Big thanks to Handheld Truth Teller Magic 8-Ball, I think that's something we could all use right about now. I
0: was so confused by that. <laughs> what do you mean? In what way? I missed – I missed. I missed uh, well, it's for one, uh, am I an aquarium? Is that what – uh, It I'm depends. See so how these work. It depends when you were born. So okay. if you
1: were born between a specific set of dates, you might oh. be an aquarium. Oh, you might okay. be a Libra. Right. You might
0: be a tiger. So. You know? So. <laughs> So, so is an Aquarius just not a that, – that's not a that, – that I've been miscalling myself, uh, that Zodiac sign.
1: I'm honestly clearest on the Gemini call sign and what that means for me, what that says about me, how I kind of understand the world. So, again, that would they just kind of told me to ad-lib and work with, with the material they gave us. So, again, huge thanks to Handheld Truth Teller Magic 8-Ball. Seems like a great company, great product relatively inexpensive uh just wanted to give them a shout out thanks for sponsoring the pod
0: so i'm technically an aquarium i can't can't, can't (laughs) it depends (laughs) when you were born okay (laughs) when were you born uh theoretically during the sign of a a rise of of aquarium so uh, me and my other flounders will um unite Right on. <laughs> we'll cut out. Everyone's looking up their everyone's
1: looking up their signs, double checking right now to make sure they had their astrological sign
0: right. We will uh, we'll, we'll move on to the topic. So, question, kind of to you guys. Um, I'm looking for head nods here. Um, do you do you recall that time when you were younger and you would hear stories or see videos of? very young players, you know, eight-year-olds or 10-year-olds or 11-year-olds who are dubbed the next big thing and are hyped up in the news or on YouTube uh, with some tangential story that they are related to or going to Real Madrid or or Barcelona or or the next big club. Are you familiar with those type of stories? Oh, yeah, Yeah, for sure. Uh, I feel like when I was younger, like very young, and I was of that age, eight or nine, Um, and hearing about that, I would think to myself that, you know what, those kids are actually legit. And seeing videos of those kids thinking they have an actual chance of taking it to the next level, unbelievable. This kid will be um, a name I will forever remember. Um, and And then you hit that point when you start to turn maybe 13 or 14 and you start to recognize that, you know what, some of that early labeling of a kid being destined for greatness at that age is just way too premature. There are so many developmental things that need to occur before that, that, that player is actually worthwhile of being in consideration for future stardom. But at that age, it's way too young. Um, I feel like every year or two, we're due to hear about this hype's new player. Um, but, and again, I don't know about you guys, it feels like recently there's been a lot of hype. But this hype isn't, centered around, again, seven- or eight-year-olds, people who are what I would deem unrealistically projected for future greatness. But there's a lot of hype for teens. There really seems to be a preponderance of interest in players who are roughly 16 to 18 or 19 starting to make big names around the world. And um, and I, I, keep help, I can't help but think to myself, is it just because there's a natural – um, bubbling of talent that is starting to arise and, and that the world has become um, so immersed in soccer and the immediacy of news has allowed us to just have a quicker and faster glimpse into players as they rise through the ranks? Or um, is there something else going on? Is there an actual interest from clubs in buying younger players? That is, they are investing money more in younger players, which is in turn uh, focusing more media attention on those. And that's why we're starting to see a little bit more of, of, of that youthful resurgence. Um, so what I wanted to understand was, is this, is this just a feeling that I have? Is this a feeling that others have in the media? Um, and is this physically actually happening? Is there a change in interest in youth players? And that means, um, you know, yes, an investment in developmental academies, but more so Are teams, and this is kind of the crux of my question, are teams investing more money in quote-unquote youth, younger players, uh, be it in transfers, in youth development, what have you? Are they shifting more of their funds towards their youth going in the direction of building young um, versus maintaining it in mid-pro level players who have established themselves in the game and have already built up their own equity? Um, so quickly to, to ensure how I was feeling about that, I looked at two two sources um, that exist. One was um, the uh, uh, the inaugural so first report, uh, UEFA's Club Competition Landscape Report, which is essentially UEFA, the supervising body of both the Champions League and the Europa League, uh, who put together a report summarizing transfer expenditures of their top 80 clubs, that is the 80 clubs who are enrolled in their Europa League and Champions League for the 2019-2020 season. And what they found was that um, of those 80 clubs, a record, so this is, this is still growing um, and is, is proving, I guess, some of this hypothesis true, a record 64% of the of the money that was spent on players or transfers were spent on players who were 24 years of age or younger. And only 7% of players uh, of spend was on players over the age of 28. Now, naturally, uh, that's interesting to hear them say this is a record, but relative to what? What has it been over time? And so my secondary source was looking at transfer market to understand, uh, is there an uptick or change in how much has been invested in um, in younger, younger players? I recommend that anybody goes on transfer market and messes around and does some digging. It's a lot of interactive, um, uh, and in depth information you would not find or that you would think you'd have at your fingertips for, for example, um, Sunderland's U18 team and who has come to the club, who has left the club, um, whoever joined the club, how much did they spend on it? And over like the past decade, robust information. Um, And uh, now, naturally, I didn't spend all of the time that I would have done doing my due diligence. I just looked at top six clubs in the Premier League and looked at their U18 rosters. Now, there's two ways you can kind of splice and dice this. You could look at this, and I apologize, we're going a little in-depth here. But you could either look at this at, have clubs been pulling in players onto their first team that are uh, under 24? The answer is clearly yes. That's what UEFA has shown us. But have we seen an uptick in... Clubs that have been adding players to their U18 rosters, you know, helping build their academies, not so much just building their actual club itself uh, or their first team. Um, And what you've seen, and I think uh, I hate to come back to United uh, as I naturally am a big United fan, uh, but I think United has the starkest um, example of how teams are shifting to invest more in their youth programs. United this past year spent roughly $12 million. Bringing in talent for their U18 team. Now, I think that's about three or four players who were brought in at a fee. Normally, they're coming; they come in for for free. But they spent uh, roughly, I think, two million dollars on three separate players coming in, and then they spent about ten million dollars on a single U16 player coming from Monaco's academy to come into the team. Now, um, naturally, this was just United. All of the other clubs didn't have as big of an expenditure for a U18 player. Um, But what you do see over the past six years is a steady increase in investment. Um, Teams are spending close to a million per year on these U18 players, players who are not actually in their full uh, first team, which is telling me that yes, not only are teams generally spending money on youth, but they're investing in the young, young players. So my question is why, why is there a sudden uptick in this? uh, what are team, what is the logic that is leading teams to go this direction? And I think there are two main reasons for it. Um, now one perspective is from the, uh, super club kind of stratosphere. What are the top six clubs doing? Um, and then what are clubs that aren't necessarily cracking into that upper echelon and how are they managing, um, uh, the, the youth, the youth, I don't know, investment. Um, so we'll talk about that that non-Big Six club, that non-Big Stratosphere mentality. Um, and I'm calling this, this first uh, portion the Dortmund approach. Um, as a reminder uh, to those who, like me, were not heavily involved in the Bundesliga prior to, I don't know, I've never been, so ever. Mm-hmm. But Borussia Dortmund, um, if you'll recall, had a sudden renaissance in roughly 2008, 2009, uh, back when Jurgen Klopp was at the club. Um, but they also had the likes of Lewandowski and Marco Reus, um, Goetz, uh, Hummels, all started to take storm, um, which led them to a Bundesliga title as well as um, competing in the Champions League final. Um, the club prior to that year or a couple of years had um, actually been teetering on the uh, border of solvency. They used to, back in the late 90s, very early 2000s, 2000, so like 2001 or two, were actually competing with Bayern Munich for the top spot in the Bundesliga. Um, they were also competing in Europe um, and making it quite far. I think they made it into Europa League final once or twice. Um, they, uh, I, I should look at my stats, I really should have that written down. But they they made a decision um, roughly 2005, 2006, um, after after being essentially almost bankrupt from having an arms race with Bayern. They thought to themselves they need to spend as much as they spent on certain players to ensure that they maintain their competition. Um, But what ended up happening is they made the wrong investments and their team started to struggle and fall into a more mid-tier place, losing money, losing interest from fans, um, and as such starting to fall into the, into, uh, the periphery. Um, what they decided to do is they pivoted their investment strategy. No longer were they going to be looking at um, mid-market pros, but rather uh, they would invest, and in not just marginally, but heavily in young, high potentials. That is, people who, have, uh, uh, who may be a little uncertain um, and have a high market value, but they were going to take it and take them at a young age, hoping that they would actually grow into something positive. Um, So in the year 2000, their average recruiting age was roughly 27. And by the following year, it was down to 23.5 or 23 and a half, if you will. Um, What has happened since then? They have uh, challenged for titles again. They have um, been a mainstay in the Champions League, continually making it out into the knockout rounds and um, have made some massive uh, uh, money in, in doing so. They've sold players like Mkhitaryan, uh, Dembele, Abameyang, um, Pulisic, uh, and they're on the cusp of selling Jadon Sancho and eventually uh, Erling Brat-Holland. Um, what they've done is they've kind of rebranded themselves as that youth um, that youth image and have turned a profit from it, and not only that, but have gained world exposure. So the point is there's this first model for these teams that cannot compete with money. What they are doing is then investing in this youth, hoping that those returns will not only boost the, the club and the actual ability of those clubs, um, but also how much money they actually take in. The other thing that's happening is, okay, well, what's happening with these top six clubs? Naturally, if you have a lot of money or theoretically have a lot of money, you're the Real's and Barca's of the world, you can spend as much as you want. It doesn't matter. Um, but isn't it interesting that you look at clubs like Real Madrid who are investing in um, Rodrigo, Vinicius, um, Militao, all of these, yes, Brazilian players, that's another side story, but players who are under the age of 20. Um, you look at um, teams like United, who are starting to build their own uh, their own uh, new generation, looking for that young, hungry English talent. Um, but you're also seeing that clubs like Chelsea are starting to play a lot of their youth. Arsenal are playing a lot of their youth. Tottenham. Um, and, uh, and Man City somewhat, Man City started to actually, yeah, they have guys like Phil Foden coming in. Um, uh, but these big six clubs clubs you wouldn't necessarily think are starting to bring in that youth. And I think that second aspect of this, the first is a Dortmund approach, changing just your model. You got to buy younger to help, um, uh, save money, but also grow money. The other half of it is what are the big six clubs doing? They're recognizing that ever since the Neymar, um, uh, uh, transfer to PSG has changed the marketplace Um, naturally there's this greater inflation which has put a premium on buying standard players. Players that are mid-level, 25, maybe 26, 27, who are clearly very good, cost way too much and aren't worth bringing into your team if they're not going to grow in value anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what teams are doing now is that they can't buy five or six players. They'll buy one or two, but are now willing to spend their money and maybe it's not $70 million on a new left back, but they're willing to spend $15 million on a 17-year-old uh, who go- who's going to sit in their academy and grow and potentially might double their value in two years. Um, and in turn, might actually start to help the club out. Um, so, so what you have are these teams and, and, uh, and players who are allowed more growth than they normally had. Um, There are a lot of English players who weren't necessarily allowed to jump into the first team right away at the age of 18 or 19. But if you look at Chelsea just for the past, I don't know, year, I think they've played eight different U18 players in their first team lineup. Um, A first for a club in uh, around, uh, I think, five or six years. Um, You look at, um, yes, United, uh, where they're pulling in, uh, I think, four different team players into their first team lineup at some point. there's a resurgence in depending on youth. And with it comes the question of uh, you know, will teams now be more, uh, are they building for the long-term? Are they building because of financial questions? Um, or is it because they have more belief in their own systems? Um, uh, it feels like financially, both, both of these ends of the spectrum um, are just being impacted by economies and what they're able to actually afford. Um, one thing I'm curious about looking for in the future, um, is, is this really sustainable model? You know, if you're investing in youth, uh, what happens when some of those players start to mature and you want to keep them and you have a surplus of players, where do those players go? Um, how do those teams reconcile that much talent potentially on a team? And conversely, um, how do you ensure that you're investing in the right star players? Uh, I think investing in a great 16 year old is exciting and all, but, um, what if that 16-year-old turns out to be a dud and you just spent 15 million dollars on um, a sunk cost? Is it a waste? Um, I'm excited uh, in seeing what's going to transpire in in all of these clubs moving forward. Who's going to rise to the top? Um, and are they are these are they building for the long term? Um, uh, I think we could spend an entire other segment talking about what are our predictions for the future for, you know, what, what, what are the, who, who is most stable for a long lasting reign at the top in Europe. Um, but I know that one thing is for certain, whichever clubs are going to be at the top in the next five years are teams that are um, not only investing in their youth, but investing in their youth properly.
2: Yeah. Well said, Max. Uh, yeah. I think, um, I think back to, kind of the fantasy Premier League aspect of it and how all of us managers are trying to find differentials against the other managers teams to, you know, get the extra point advantage throughout the game week and, and at the end of the season. And I think this is what we're seeing teams do, right? They're seeing these younger players as the differentials, right? They're not they haven't been kind of worked super hard on these other really big professional teams. And so they're they're fit. They're probably less injury prone. Um, They are coming in at a good price, given that you know they don't have a super huge resume, and they're trying to prove themselves and get in, you know, get a foot in the door at these bigger clubs. Um, I do think that, as much as I think it's important for clubs to to invest in the youth um, of their teams to ensure maybe a longevity of success, or um, at least you know, longevity of performing at a pretty high level. uh, I do think, though, that teams can also look really because i think this is a big differential it's all about differentials it's all about who wh- where's this player going to give us the most benefit on our team to put us put us over the edge against all these other clubs and so i'm thinking about you know bruno fernandez he's 25 he just came in on man united um 25 i think for our for the sake of this topic is old um and he's been great on the team he's been great for fantasy teams uh really And he's been a differential maker for the team. I think he he brings a boost of energy. Um, I know that, Max, you might mention Juan who's he was young and has been fantastic. Um, But I think Bruno um, has given them the spark that they needed, for sure. Um, And and then I'm also thinking about Minamino on Liverpool. He's 25 as well. Um, He hasn't had the, maybe, explosiveness on a team or the impact that Bruno Fernandes has. But, you know, I think it's also important for clubs to, To look at those 25 through 27, 28 year olds on other clubs. You know, maybe they're playing in Istanbul, maybe they're playing for Ajax, who we don't really know about, but they're super solid. They're just in smaller countries with smaller clubs and they're not getting as much exposure. But look, I think those players are arguably as important and critical for teams as as well as investing in the youth.
1: The biggest difference for me in soccer and again, to to what you said, uh, Winter, it is about differentiating yourself from other clubs and using what, what's out there, the same talent that everyone these days can scout and sign because of how globalized the, the game of soccer is. The biggest difference is when it comes to coaching turnover in soccer, I think coaches and managers get turned over so often that it's tough to commit to youth and growing youth because you're always, you know, under, under the needle and really getting looked at and questioned and fans have such a big say and clubs have such a short leash on performance and making big tournaments and performing well in big tournaments that it's tough to grow youth. You really have to have a committed board ownership manager who's willing to stick around for even two, three years is seemingly crazy sometimes these days when you have multiple managers in the same season and in other major sports, especially in baseball or even basketball, but more so baseball. I think you have managers for 15, 20 years. They're much more willing to pull a guy up and try him out. Whereas in soccer, unless they already have the talent that's going to get them over that threshold where they can commit literally at that moment and be strong enough, a lot of the big clubs and even some of the smaller clubs that you were talking about, Jones, aren't willing to take that risk. And the managers aren't willing to take that risk because it's their job on the line. So I think... The clubs that have a strong organization and manager, coach in place that is willing to stick around for a while and they've committed and they're on the same terms, they're both in this for even the medium term haul, they're doing a much better job of bringing up young
0: talent and giving young talent more opportunities. You know, there's a, you bring up an interesting point because, um, you know, I, I've called this the Borussia Dortmund, you know, you know logic or theory. Uh, where where they are able to readjust their uh, buying model to help bring in players, and as such, it's affected what their team ethos is. Now they are instead of just a title contending club, they are um, a intermediary intermediary club. They are like a Monaco of the world or Ajax of the world. They're a developmental team where you come and grow and then take on you know your next big contract, um, but. Dortmund, in order to get there, needed to have some structure. You can't just necessarily do that out of nowhere. Um, a club like Sheffield Wednesday is not going to necessarily say, okay, great, we'll just invest $20 million in this stud 16-year-old and hope that, that our team grows. They need to make more immediate changes. They don't have the time to invest that money and wait on it. Um, because, yes, they don't have just the structure and, and the 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 Financial feasibility to make that last, but also the teams—they don't have the coaching staff or the longevity to really think about long-term um, uh, investments. They need their short terms to make sense. Um, uh, I—I'm uh, I'm fascinated with 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 youth and the uh, resurgence of it, especially as it implicates Americans. It's really interesting to see players like uh, Giovanni Reina or—I uh, mean Pulisic's own rise to stardom. Um, comes through a, a program like Dortmund. But um, we are able to see as a country our own, the own fruits of our labors as players start to rise and are given a chance um, in circumstances that they normally wouldn't get. Um, I'm excited to see where things go. I don't know where they're going to go. Um, and uh, I can only hope that players like Freddie Adu get a chance in the, uh, in the future.
1: Absolutely. Gonna head into our second sponsor read before we come back with some more great material and of course our world famous game over under.
2: Do you like making friendly bets on the game with friends? Do you like wagering your entire savings account on the ball game? Without sports, your gambling addiction is taking a hit. No need to fear any longer. From the makers of Build a Bear comes the revolutionary new gambling app called All Bets Are On. Now you can bet on literally anything. How many times your cat will meow in the morning? How many references to COVID-19 will you hear in an hour? How long will a single roll of toilet paper last? Literally anything! In no time, start gambling with friends and others across the globe. Without sports, life gets hard. Make it easier with All Bets Are On. Wow, first betting company.
1: Feels like almost a given. With how popular a pod is, and how often we're talking predictions, hot takes, how right we are most of the time. Right. It's also
0: big on our demo, um, hitting that sweet spot: four to five year olds, uh, big money spenders.
2: I think they're gonna love it. I think all their parents are gonna love it. It's gonna pay for their kids'
1: education. (laughs) Is that? Did we just make a guarantee to our listeners that we will refund any losses? Whoa! Yeah, you you can't say stuff like that. No, 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 no.
2: I think if they play it well, if they make the right bets, they could pay for their children's education. And that's all you can
1: really ask for, you know? Just a chance. It's a chance. Let's jump into our last segment, Over Under. I'm going to be leading us this week throwing very controversial topics to Max and Max, seeing whether they think they're overrated, underrated, giving them 15 seconds to respond why they're either underrated, overrated, or rated. They could just be rated fairly. Today's theme is the Midwest and Midwest stereotypes. Obviously, the pod being hosted in Chicago, Minnesota. We're kind of the experts on this topic. We're the most knowledgeable. So we want to bring the truth to all of our listeners. Jones, first one is for you. Over or
0: underrated, deep dish pizza. Underrated. Uh, underrated because... um. Uh, Deep Dish is a delicacy that is hyped up. Everyone knows of it, especially if you're going to Chicago, Um, but you will go there and based on whatever ingredients you put in, you will be satisfied. Uh, Just don't eat too much of it and don't hype it up too much in your mind. Just get there, save enough room in your stomach so that you're able to crunch through it um, and uh, invite me over and I'll show you how to do it properly.
1: Winter, over or underrated? The friendliness of people in the Midwest.
2: I think it is slightly overrated. Um, you know, people are shocked if you say something honest here, and I think it's 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 not fair. I think we have this this stereotype that we're super nice. We won't say we're kind of passive aggressive. Won't say anything mean. But you know, sometimes honesty is, is a little harsh. And the East Coast and New Yorkers get to do it. Why can't we?
1: You have mentioned that a couple times that you enjoy being mean, not because you're a bad guy, but just because you want to kind of lessen the burden on all other Midwesterners
2: shake it up. Yep.
1: That's good to know. Everyone should practice that a little more. I think just be, be a little more mean, you know, people are too nice around here. I I agree. I agree. Jones over or underrated the Chicago dog.
0: Um, rated. I think, I think it gets a lot of hype. I think it's delicious, but at the end of the day, hot dogs, a hot dog guys. Um, you know, it's it's a good combination. I think skipping the ketchup and replacing it with a bunch of other ingredients is exciting and delicious, but um, is ultimately uh, going to last maybe a minute, and uh, you'll feel okay at the end. It's kind of like other things that don't last as long. And you end up just feeling okay at the end. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and you leave somewhat satisfied. But there's ketchup, onion... Maybe relish
0: involved. A pickle.
1: Probably a pickle. Or, or, two. Pickle, or yeah. two.
0: Maybe some fries. Uh-huh. All the all the garnish that, that a boy could want. Acoutrement. Acoutrement. You're my acoutrement. You know that? Yo, dab it up, my acoutrement.
1: <laughs> Winter. Over or underrated? The amount of open land and cornfields.
2: <laughs> um... It is underrated. I think the open space is a beautiful thing. You know, I think that people in the big cities, you know, maybe not Chicagoans, but New York, Boston, I think people get, you know, they want to get, a, get away from that. Um, and here it's so easy in the Midwest. Go about, I mean, honestly, in Madison, when I lived there, you can go about three miles outside of Madison, you're in farm country. So that's a bit extreme. But uh, even here in Minneapolis, you can you can get out very quickly, which is nice.
1: You don't want to take it for granted, you know, being on the East Coast, coming out here, seeing the open fields, seeing the cornfields, being in Madison or Minnesota, wherever you are. It's a beautiful thing. Don't want to underappreciate that or under underrate it, if you will.
0: Right. I, I feel like I appreciated all those things. Like all of those down the line, I, I thoroughly enjoy and would staunchly say are underrated. Um, They're hyped up. Or not even hyped up, they're just discussed. they're kind of just givens, they're facts about the Midwest. And when you listed all those off, uh, part of my identity came with it and I felt, uh, I felt really drawn. I felt really um, empowered by it. Thanks, bro. This is, I just want to thank you for being you, man, um, and welcome you and let you know, hey, if you need anything during this time, during this coronavirus time, uh, if it's pizza, if it's a, a warm hug, um if it's just a, a field of corn i got you brother shut up <laughs> shut your mouth you're coming <laughs> off stupid
1: Classic East coaster i i love you guys you that guys one so clever, winter right? that one was for you right there all right i'm with you brother people are too thank nice you. around here you know, i was on the number. i'm done with it
2: i've had it you were you were about
1: to i just had to i wanted to stop you before you incriminated yourself in some yeah. way
2: thank you thank you
1: all right last two last two let's make them good. Deep-fried Oreo
0: on a stick, dipped in cream. Rated as fuck. I don't know. I have, uh, I have never had one, um, but I have um, I have seen them. And uh, I, I don't know what to make of it until I've tried it. So I'm going to assume right now that it is literally what it, it, it is at face value. Something that sounds kind of weird, uh, but needs to enter my mouth at some point very fair very fair winter last one for you over
1: or underrated freezing winters in a log cabin in the heartland of minnesota watching the snow fall past the shades outside as you pick up a nice book and relax by the fire
2: oh man that is underrated I and mean, it doesn't get much better than that that's that's the dream right there freezing cold nice fire relaxing snuggled up under the blanket. It's 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 the best thing you could ever do. It's therapeutic. It's therapeutic.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And hope all of you listeners stay beautiful, stay healthy. Keep listening to us, follow us on Instagram as we put out more and more content under these trying times, keeping you engaged, keeping you up to date with what's going on in the world and keeping you happy. Because that's what we're all about. Talk to you next week. Your... Deuces! Ooh, there's a
2: squirrel outside my window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are supposed to keep going. You can't just. Like,
0: <clears throat> we were, te- were teeing you up there. You nailed it. That was it. <laughs> it's gold. <It's> Bring it. <laughs>